Welcome back to Self Made, the podcast you should absolutely be listening to if you own a cleaning business or are thinking about starting one. Today, we're going to be talking about the topic of staff, hiring staff, onboarding staff, training, nurturing, everything. I don't have any talking points for this episode, and there is a lot to cover on the topic of staff, but we're just going to jump in and start at the beginning with the common questions I get asked a lot when it comes to staff, like when should I hire, how do I hire, uh, what regulations and laws do I need to know about, and all that sort of stuff. So let's start with that one question that a lot of beginners will have at some point, and that's when do I hire staff? Well, that's a very easy question to answer because you just hire staff when you have enough work to give to a staff member. Usually, it's good to have about 40 hours of work for yourself. And you're probably thinking uh, about hiring staff when you get to around 40, 50 hours a week of, uh, of work for yourself, because that's the tipping point where you're like, I can't take any more work on for myself. I have so much more work coming in. There's a lot of people knocking on the door who want to use my service, but I just physically can't handle it. So you're like, what do I do? Well, the only way to grow at that point is if you hire someone to disperse that workload. So I really like the, uh, the rinse and repeat model of you just get 40 hours of work or 30 hours of work for yourself. You train someone up to do that work. You give it to them and you do it all over again. You get more work, give it to someone else. You get more work for yourself, give it to someone else, so on and so forth. That's really good when you're just like a sole operator who's kind of grinding away at the business, trying to get to three or four employees and then you can sort of think bigger picture and uh, create a new strategy for how you're going to separate yourself more from the business. But initially, when I started my business, that's how I went about hiring staff. Just got myself to a point where I physically couldn't good, uh, couldn't do the work anymore. And then I brought one or two people on board and I shared that workload between them. And then I went and got more work for myself, which I then gave to someone else. So yeah, if you have enough work for yourself, you've got enough work for a staff member. And I am a big uh, proponent for not overworking staff. And there's a few reasons why. If you want to give 40 hours of work to someone, they maybe, maybe they really want it. Let's just say it's someone who really needs the work and they're really committed to this work. If you give someone 40 hours of cleaning a week or even 30 or 20, if they're sick or if they're injured and they can't work, guess what? You've now got a 40-hour problem for that week. You need to find other staff members that have space in their schedule to take those cleans on or you're going to have to do them yourself. So think about this when you're planning on hiring staff. You don't want to give someone too much work because it can create problems down the line, especially if someone leaves on short notice. Then you've got a massive workload that you need to palm off to to other people or to yourself and it can it can be pretty debilitating. I made that mistake early on. I used to just give people as much work as they wanted. People would leave. I would have to uh, get rid of clients because I just couldn't service them. I had no one who could step in and help me out. And I was just completely overworked and understaffed. And that brings me to the next point, which is you always want to be overstaffed. It's always better to be overstaffed than understaffed. Because think about this. What's a better scenario for you? You've got a ton of work coming in, but you can't service it, or you have too many staff members and you can't give them work. Only one of those two options is losing you money. You having staff members who you can't give work to because you don't have the capacity for it is a good thing. It's very easy for you to go and get more work for staff members, and it's a lot harder for you to go and find staff to replace other staff that have left. So 
it's a much bigger problem when you're understaffed for that reason and a plethora of others. So that's why I've always got two or three people in training perpetually. I've always got those people in training. Even if I know that I've got a solid team and we're probably not going to grow in the next few weeks, we still keep that as sort of a contingency because as I said, things happen. Unexpected things happen. Recently, I just had someone, um, she's, she's a very young girl. She's 19 and she's already engaged. So she's having her wedding soon. She's figuring out her life. Um, she's been a very good employee, but all of a sudden, they're moving like an hour away or two hours away and she's just handed in her th- uh, three weeks notice. So that's something that was completely unexpected. It's not something you can plan for and that's why you need to have people on standby. And in that same week, I had to fire someone because they were underperforming and a whole bunch of other stuff. And so just in that week, I've had two people that are out the door and I need to have two people in straight away. So if I wasn't already overstaffed, if I wasn't already training two new people, I'd be in a position where I'm like, oh my God, how am I going to get two new people, two good candidates on board, first of all, and then how am I going to train them quick enough so that I can bring them in and get them to take over this work that is now going to be up for grabs once these people leave? It's a very big problem if you're understaffed. And if you're a smaller operator, like if you have, say, one to five employees, even if you're just by yourself, as soon as you bring staff in, your profit goes down the drain. You're going to, it's a big pill to swallow. I mean, I've talked about this in my TikTok before. As soon as you bring an employee on board, you lose money. But your capacity to earn increases exponentially. Every time you bring an employee on board, your capacity to earn increases by however much percent. I was about to say a number, but I realized I can't do math. So right now, if you earn $75,000 by yourself as a sole trader, if you bring someone in to do all of that work for you, you might only profit 25% of that $75,000. But then if you go and get another $75,000 a year worth of work for yourself and give that to a new employee, then you've made another 25% of 75K. You do that 10 more times, you're making really good money. So that's why in the first stage of growth and hiring, it is still really good to keep some work for yourself. So if you have a full five or six days of work a week, you may only want to give two or three days of that to an employee and keep the other two or three days for yourself just to keep profit up. But once you get to around six employees, five or six employees, that's when you kind of want to take a step back and really think about not doing any cleaning anymore and take on a more managerial role. Because when you're at that point where you have six or more employees, you should be making really good profit. And your time at that point is better spent on the business rather than in it. So once you get past that first couple of employees, your uh, your capacity to earn really increases and you're going to start making a lot more money. And the door, I mean, the floodgates just open at that point because you can go from six employees to 10 really quickly. It's really easy to grow the, the more employees and the more clients you get. Because when you have two employees and let's say 20 clients, if, uh, if one of those two employees calls in sick, it's very hard to disperse that workload to other people because there's only you and one, one other employee. But if you have eight employees, if one person is sick, there's seven other people that can take on that work for you. So it's just so much easier to run and, and grow the business 
the bigger it gets. And it's something that I thought when I started, it would be the complete opposite. You think that when you have a bigger business, there's bigger headaches, bigger problems, bigger stress, but it's been the complete opposite. I love my business when it's around 10 to 14 employees. I feel like that's the sweet spot for me. Any bigger than that, and yeah, it's it's going to get a bit crazy. But between one and eight employees, it's it's hard to really disconnect yourself from the business because you're always going to be involved in some way. But when you get to around eight, eight to 12, that's when you really start to open up that door of real business ownership. That's when you step back as a cleaner and you become a real business owner. So yeah, that's um, that's something to keep in mind. It is going to hurt your profit when you hire staff, but think big picture. It doesn't matter what you earn in that first year when you're hiring staff and figuring things out. It really is increasing your capacity to earn, and there's a lot of potential in hiring. That's that's where the scale comes in with a service business. It's not about how much you can do. It's about how much work you can bring in and how many people you can bring on board. And I know it's a scary thing when you first start to hire your first employee because you, when you're a sole operator, your reputation is everything. You bend over backwards for your customers and unfortunately, you're probably not going to get that same work ethic from an employee, but that's okay. As long as you have a really thorough training system, a great onboarding process and a great application process, you can create really good staff that are going to be aligned with your goals, your vision and the overall uh the mission of your business, and you're going to create really good cleaners. So it is scary. It's a big first step, but my only regret now after three years of doing this and, and getting to the point where I'm almost at a million dollars a year is that I didn't start sooner. So if there's one takeaway that you can get from this, it's just to, to really just go into it. It's a learning curve. You will encounter problems even if you do everything by the book. It's really unpredictable when you deal with people, but it's going to be a very rewarding experience when you hire your first employee and you start to uh, turn away from cleaner to cleaning business owner. Because when you're a sole operator, you're not really a business owner. You just own your job. So yeah, scary first step. But once you take that first step and you realize how easy it is and how rewarding and fulfilling it can be, it just it completely shifts your perspective and it changes your entire paradigm. So What's next? Okay, we've covered uh, overstaffed versus understaffed, why that's important, hiring your first employee, how much work you should have. Let's dive into rules and regulations and fair work and all that, all that bizzo. Okay, so in Australia, you need to follow the cleaning award. And it's a very simple award. It tells you how much you should pay your cleaners, what entitlements they uh they are entitled to, such as superannuation, travel allowances, uh, breaks, things like that. All of that is available online under the Cleaning Services Services Award. I'm not sure what it is in places like New Zealand, but I can only presume that it's very similar to what we have here. So in terms of logistics of hiring staff and what you need to pay them and all that stuff, it's actually very simple. When I first started, I subcontracted my work because I thought employing people would be really difficult and complicated, but it's actually the complete opposite. I found that subcontracting is harder than employing staff because if you have something like zero and you run your payroll through that accounting software or something similar, they pretty much do it all for you. They All you have to do is upload the timesheets, put in the hourly pay, 
and Zero will take out the employee's tax. It will calculate their super and have it paid into their nominated fund. And it takes care of all that difficult stuff that I don't know how to do for you. So that's the very easy part is actually paying your employees and doing it by the book. Then there's insurances as well. You want to make sure you have your workers comp. This is different in every state. For example, in Western Australia, where I run my business, I can go through an insurance broker and get a deal from a number of different insurance providers. But in different states in Australia, like Adelaide and I think maybe Queensland, uh, workers comp is actually regulated. So you have to go through the same uh, institution to get your insurance. So just Google that. Talk to a broker if you need some help and they'll give you the right guidance. So once you have the workers comp and you figured out the cleaning award so you know how much to pay, that's pretty much the prerequisites for hiring a cleaner. Now we move into the actual training and the onboarding of hiring staff. And this is where it starts to get tricky. This is where you really need to know your stuff. And if you don't, you need to look to other people for advice because if you go into this blind, it's going to be a very a long, painful learning process. For me, it took me about a year and a half, maybe two years to really perfect my hiring process. And that's even with uh, a lot of input and advice from other people in the industry because it just, it takes a long time to be able to take someone from knowing nothing about your business to the point where they're a superstar cleaner who is aligned with your vision and goals and they know your business inside out. That takes a lot of time and effort. So my advice to you is if you're if you're small and you're thinking about hiring staff or you have staff and you're starting to grow your team, I would say document all of your procedures and your processes now rather than later because it's very easy to just take people in and show them what you do and then tell them to go out on their own. But later on when you're doing things at scale, it's really hard to stay consistent and congruent when you're just kind of doing things by what you can remember in your head. You have to get everything mapped out into a LMS, which is a learning management system, or at the very least, just get it out into a Google Doc or a Dropbox, just so you have processes down for things like cleaning, how to clean a bathroom, how to clean a kitchen, etc. So you have your employee handbook written down, so you have all the policies and information about how to use your softwares and when payroll is, how they can upload their employee file, where they can submit their driver's license, a copy of their ID, uh, a copy of their uh, police check, working with children's check, all that stuff. Because when you're trying to remember everything in the moment, you're going to forget things. I used to just take people on board and I'd be like, okay, I've got got someone new on board. What's the first thing I do? Well, I need to show them how to clean. And then we're three days in and I realized they don't even have a driver's license. Like I've been sending them to train with my trainer and they've just been getting dropped off or they've been they've been catching an Uber or a bus and we don't even realize that until they're three days into training or they're a week into training and then they tell us they can't produce a police check because I had someone who she moved in from a new country and she's got issues with her ID. It doesn't display her real government name and so she can't actually apply for a police check because of that. And because of that, we can't employ her. We can't employ people without the proper background te- uh, checks and police checks. So a lot of money and time wasted just because I wasn't diligent in my processes from the get-go. So make sure you have everything mapped out from the start. 
There's a lot of resources online that you can check out. I don't have anything that's available on my uh, Instagram or my website or anything like that, but there are a lot of great people who are a lot better at hiring than I am, like Fiona Morris from uh, Grow My Cleaning Business. She's got some really good content on hiring staff, and I've actually learned a lot from her. But as long as you have a good idea of um, how to do things and you can map this out into a document or an email that you send out to new applicants and listen to feedback when you're training people because you are going to get a lot of it. If anyone ever has a question at some point in their training, that's a question that you can go back and answer in your onboarding process. So I'm trying to think of an example for this of a question that we got asked. Um, Okay, so uh, we were training someone ages ago and they were like, so when is payday? How often do we get paid? I'm like, oh, pay is every week on a Monday. And then in my head, I'm like, why have I not put this in our onboarding process? So immediately I went back home went into my trainual, which is my LMS, and I put in the uh, information section, uh, a section on pay. I said, okay, every Monday afternoon, you'll get paid. It'll get paid into your nominated bank account. You'll also get paid super every quarter into your nominated super fund. And I explained that we take tax out of your pay slips so that you don't have to do it. And I just covered everything to do with pay because- It was an important thing that I'd missed and my trainee brought it to my attention. So you will get a lot of feedback and it's really important that you listen to the feedback and you adhere to people's concerns and their questions. And going back a step, before they even start training, you want to make your staff application process really, really difficult. And the reason you want to make it difficult is because you want to get rid of the tire kickers. We want to eliminate all the bad applicants before they even get a chance to make it past the first few steps. That makes it really easy to draw up a, uh, a really good pool of applicants that you can then go and select a few people to trial from. So in my application process on my website, you can go and check that out at enhancedcleaning.com.au and then click the join our team section. You will see that it's a really long form. It takes about five minutes to fill out, maybe maybe even 10 minutes at this point. There's a lot of questions that need answering. A lot of them are long-form answers, so they need to write one or two paragraphs. And obviously, for someone who doesn't care about the job or doesn't have any real interest, it's just going to click off before they even finish it. They're going to be like, stuff this. This is ridiculous for a cleaning job. And that's exactly what we want. That's why we make the process long, because we want people to give up. And the people who stick around and actually fill out that application Those are the people that we then go and call and talk to and invite them in for a trial. But it doesn't end there. Even once they've completed that um, application form, there's still hoops they need to jump through. They need to get on a Zoom with us. Then they need to get uh, in front of us for an in-person interview. Then they need to do our online training, which is about three hours of written video and uh, visual learning. Then once they've done that, they can do a one-day paid trial. And then after that, we can assess them and figure out if we want to bring them into our team for an extended training period. So it's a very long process to get someone from uh, knowing nothing about you to being a superstar cleaner. There are a lot of people who say that you need to shorten your hiring process. And there is is a lot of uh, merit in having a shorter process. I try to shorten the actual training process as much as possible, but I also like keeping it longer 
as expensive as it is because people are usually going to show their true colors in the first two to three weeks of their employment. So if we can have their training period be around three weeks, people are going to show red flags within that time period. And then we can kind of gauge whether or not this is going to work before they have a chance to actually cause any issues. Because if we send people out after three days of training, we haven't had enough time to really assess these people and see if they're a good fit for our team. And then they're going to go out there and bad things might happen. Or they might not like the job and leave because they didn't have enough time to really see if it was a good fit for them, not only if it was a good fit for you. So make your application process long, if anything. You don't have to make the actual training process long. If you want to save money, you can try to optimize it as much as possible. But the application process should always be long. You need to ask a lot of questions and really scrutinize the answers. Because even though it is a cleaning job, people are going to put a lot of effort into the applications and it's going to surprise you with how much um, effort they put in. I get really awesome applicants that write like short stories about themselves. They, they tell me a lot of information about them. They tell me uh, in great detail why they want to work for me and what interests them about the job. And then those are the people that I'm like, wow, they're, they're putting so much effort into this application. These are the people I want to talk to. These are the people I want to have on my team because if they're going to put that much effort into their application, they're going to put that much effort into their training and their actual work and it's going to show in other areas because like I said in the last episode, how you do one thing is how you do everything. If you send in a really lazy application, I'm just going to immediately assume that you're a lazy person and you're going to be a lazy cleaner. So yeah, that brings us to the nurture phase of employment and that's when you've successfully found the right applicant. You've onboarded them, you've trained them, and now they're on your team. Now, how do you keep them on your team? This is important because it's a lot cheaper to retain an employee than it is for you to go out and get a new one. So you want to take care of your people as much as you can. You want to reward them, you want to give them praise, and you want to make them feel like they're part of a real team that's going somewhere. No one wants to be on a sinking ship and no one wants to feel like they're not making any progress in their personal and uh, business life. So yeah, just post about them on social media, get them involved with the social media, like get them in some TikToks, some Instagram posts, even get them to do some Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok posts. Maybe pay them like a $25 to $50 a week allowance to go and create content for you. And that's good for two reasons. That's good for your business. You're getting content out there and it's getting your people's faces out there and it's connecting with your market and your customers. And it's giving your staff something cool to do. It's making them feel included and they're going to have fun doing that. So think about cool and creative ways that you can make your employees feel a bit more included and a part of the creative process and just more involved with your business in general. So as long as you're a nice human, which I'm sure you are if you're here listening to this, you will do well. And if you're not a personable person like I am, it's something you can learn. You don't have to be born a social butterfly. You can learn how to be good with people. I used to struggle a lot with this. I had social anxiety. I was bad at talking to people, but it's something you quickly overcome when you deal with lots of staff and you go through all the hard stuff and you just kind of come out the other side a reformed person and you're a lot better at dealing with people. You're a lot better at dealing with people problems and it'll make you a much more well-rounded business owner. And then once you've built that team to the point where you have, you know, eight, 10, 12 employees, then you start looking into your team 
and you see who would be good at replacing you in your role as a trainer if you haven't already by that point. Have a look at who your best performers are, who seems really eager to move up the ladder in your business and start giving them more responsibilities and accountability and see how they go with it. And then quickly, you can kind of build your own hierarchy within the business where you have you at the top, someone under you doing the management, and you have one or two supervisors. And as long as you have a good pricing model, even with you giving two or three management roles to people, you'll still be really profitable. And you're going to have a real business with layers of separation, of management, contingencies, redundancies. And it's going to be, like I said, super profitable. It's going to be fun to run. And it's going to give you a lot of freedom because you can step back at any time, go do things that you love, go work on other stuff, have more time to build the business if you want to, go on holidays, whatever. It just um, it opens up a lot of opportunities for you when you hire staff and you do it properly. And just remember, it's a lot easier to do it with the help of someone than it is to do it alone. I did it alone for most of my journey because... I used to be very arrogant and I didn't think that anyone could really tell me something I didn't already know. But as soon as I joined a proper program and got some advice and coaching, it really accelerated my hiring and uh, business learning journey. So go find someone that, whoops, sorry, I don't know if you heard that. I just dropped something on the floor and it's broken. Anyway, go find someone that you resonate with, that you think is a good mentor. It could even be this podcast, this is a good step in, uh, or this is a step in the right direction for you. If you're listening to this, uh, I strongly encourage that you go and speak to other people who have hired staff and are in a position where you want to be. It doesn't have to be someone who owns a million dollar a year business. It can just be someone who owns a business that is um, slightly bigger than yours. Go ask them about what they did, what they succeeded with, what they had problems with, and have a serious think about joining a coaching program like grow my cleaning biz or whatever else is out there because it's a great way to accelerate your growth. So yeah, that's pretty much all there is to it. We've covered uh, a couple of questions. When should I hire staff or why should I hire staff? How do I train staff? How do I onboard staff? How do I nurture them? And what should the application process look like? So I hope you found this helpful. I'll be doing more niche videos on the topic of hiring and sort of deep diving into all these different aspects of hiring. But I felt like this would be a good blanket video for the uh, topic of hiring, just to kind of give people an idea of what needs to be done and what things need to be put in place for you to have a successful hiring program and to make sure you do it the right way. So yeah, thanks for listening to another episode of Self Made. Please go and rate me five stars on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, whatever you're listening to this on, and drop a comment. I'd love some feedback on the podcast. I'd like to know what your thoughts are. If you'd like to hear me talk about anything else, or if you think that I'm talking too much about something, or if I could improve on anything, I love feedback, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on the podcast. So yeah, thanks for listening. I'll see you in the next one.